so perspective is, is an interesting thing, isn't it? What one person really considers really good, someone maybe not so much. I have two, I have three daughters, and my, my first two, when we first got to town, I think about a year into it, wanted to check out whether they wanted to be involved in swimming, competitive swimming, right? So we were at the pool at the, at the rec, at the rec center. And they're in the pool, and there was this coach yelling at them, you know, yelling instruction and, you know, telling them to keep going and all that type of thing. And for one, man, that really drove her. I mean, she was just digging in and, you know, looking to the next lane, making sure no one was passing her. I mean, she just had that competitive spirit and just was really encouraged by that, right? And the other daughter just felt like, why is this guy yelling at me? Is he upset with me? He doesn't like me. What, what is his problem? And, you know, at the end of the day, we had one daughter who wanted to keep going in competitive swimming. At the end of the day, we had another daughter who said, no, this is not for me. You know, later on, she found her niche in something else. She found her, her, her niche in volleyball and is excelling there. And that's where God you know, is growing her and blooming her. But again, you know, two people experiencing pretty much the same thing. I was there. I was watching. I was listening. They're experiencing the same thing just a different perspective on how they were receiving that. You know, the Bible holds up marriage as a good thing, and rightfully so. In the creation account, you know, when God brings the man, the woman to the man, he says it's, it's very good. You've got Proverbs like 18.22 that says that he who finds a wife finds a good thing and receives favor from the Lord. And we here as a church want to do everything we can to promote marriage and promote healthy, God-honoring marriages. But here's the question. How do we view singleness? How do we view singleness? Is it merely a stage to endure until you finally get married? Is it a condition to stand until you're really ready to become a real adult? Is it a perpetual state for those who you think are damaged or weird or socially awkward to to stand. If you're single, there must be something wrong with you. Well, today we're going to look at God's Word. And we're going to see that God has a place for singleness. And he even calls it good. And we're going to go through the perspective of a single man. A man whose passion and perspective will show that being single can be actually a blessing. That can be a blessing that can last into eternity. If you have your Bibles, you might want to open them up to uh, Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, as we've been studying here. And we're going to pick it up at verse 25, and we're going to read these verses to the end of the chapter. So this is the Apostle Paul. He says, Now about virgins, I have no command from the Lord, but I give a judgment as one who, by the Lord's mercy, is trustworthy. Because of the present crisis, I think it is good for you to remain as you are. Are you married? Do not seek a divorce. Are you unmarried? Do not look for a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life, and I want to spare you this. What I mean, brothers is that the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they had none. Those who mourn, as if they did not. Those who are happy, 
as if they were not. Those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep. Those who use things of the world as if not engrossed in them. For this world in its present form is passing away. I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of the, this world, how he can please his wife, and his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or a virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I am saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in the right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. If anyone thinks he is acting improperly toward the virgin he is engaged to, and if she is getting along in years and feels he ought to marry, he should do as he wants. He is not sinning. They should get married. The man who has settled the matter in his own mind, who is under no compulsion but has control over his own will, and who has made up his mind not to marry the virgin, this man also does the right thing. So then, he who marries the virgin does right, but he who does not marry does even better. A woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to marry anyone she wishes, but must belong to the Lord. In my judgment, she is happier if she stays as she is. I think that I, too, have the Spirit of God. Let me pray for us, and then we'll get into God's Word. So, Lord, we are grateful for the gift of marriage, and we're grateful for the gift of singleness. I pray that you would open our eyes today and help us to see that, and help us to see that what you have for one is not always necessarily the same for another. Lord, I pray that we'll be able to celebrate what you uh, have said in your word, and to not see it as burdensome, but to see it as really a gift to us, to live a life of devotion to you. So Lord, we just pray right now, if we look into your word, that you would give us grace to see that your Holy Spirit would open our eyes and that we would be able to live lives, whether we're married or whether we're single, in devotion to you. So Lord Jesus, it's in your name I pray these things. Amen. So as we've been going through our series in 1 Corinthians, we spent a lot of time here in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and 7, we've been talking about holy sexuality. That whether you're married or whether you're single, you should be living your life unto God and submitting that sexuality to God. That sexuality is for the covenant of marriage between one man and one woman. And that if you're single, then you shouldn't be participating in that and trusting God to bring that about. That the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. And we're supposed to honor Him with our bodies. Last week, we were talking about being bloom, blooming where we were planted, that Paul's advice to remain as you were when you first put your faith in Jesus. And not letting that state actually define you, not let it be your truest, your truest identity. And one of these categories, again, was your marital status. Are you married? Paul said, you know, then, then don't divorce. Are you unmarried? Then don't look for a spouse. And what's interesting, though, as we look at this particular passage, is that Paul says, and, and we believe this is God's inspired word, it's God-breathed, but 
Paul says that this is his advice. This is you know, his, his opinion. It's not a command from the Lord. And so what he starts out with is what I call a personal perspective. It's no secret what Paul thinks here. In verse 1 of this whole chapter, he says, it's good for a man not to marry. Literally, it's good for a man not to touch a woman. And then verse 7, he goes on to say, I wish that all men were as I am. That is single. And then in verse 8, it says, Now to the unmarried and the widows, I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried as I am. And here we go back to verse 25, where we're at today. It says, Now about virgins, I have no command from the Lord, but I give a judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Because of the present crisis, we think there was something going on like a, like a famine in the area. I think that it is good for you to remain as you are. Are you married? Do not seek a divorce. Are you unmarried? Do not look for a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life, and I want to spare you of this. And then down to the end of the chapter, he says, In my judgment, talking about a widow, she's happier if she stays as she is. And I think that I too have the Spirit of the Lord. It's one of the challenges of this chapter, right? You're trying to discern, okay, as I read this, and especially as you're a single person, how do I discern what what God might be saying to Paul, and, and how much do I just say that that's just, this is his opinion? That's what drives him. That's who he was. Because Paul was one of those persons who was just kind of a laser-like focus. I mean, he, what he, if he had a mission, he wouldn't let anything get in the way. And that was true of him when his name was Saul. He kind of had a bulldog type of personality, even when he was an enemy of the, of the cross. But he also, God used him because of that personality to become the gospel's greatest ambassador and to spread the gospel throughout the Roman world. And there's speculation about Paul, whether he was married or not. Some people think that he must have been married because of his access to the Sanhedrin and, and what seemed to be the coming of age and the traditions of having access to that kind of board. I'll be honest with you, I don't think he was married. That's my own opinion, so take it for what it's worth. Because I think he was too driven. I think he was too driven to be married, and I think the Sanhedrin at the time was just happy to have this pit bull of a personality to you know, use, use for their opposition against the gospel. Whatever he did, he was all in. He was all in. And that included an exclusion of marriage, as he readily admits here. And that needs to be factored in as you're, you're taking this in. You have to say, okay, who was Paul? And what drove him? What drove him was the gospel, to take it no matter what. I mean, his own personal safety, he did not care about. He was all in. You don't need to be wired like Paul to to follow his advice, but it needs to be factored in as you're thinking about that, and especially as you are a single person. But here's what I will also say on the other side. Paul's view was completely Christ-centered. It was completely Christ-centered. So he's also giving an eternal perspective. Pick it up at verse 29. It says, What I mean, brothers and sisters, is that the time is short talking about the return of Jesus Christ. From now on, those who have wives should live as if 
they do not. Those who mourn, as if they did not. Those who are happy, as if they were not. Those who buy something, as if it were not theirs to keep. Those who use the things of this world, if not engrossed in them. For this world in its present form is passing away. History is going somewhere, folks. The Lord Jesus Christ will return in his perfect timing to come back and claim his bride, his people, his church, and to set all things right. As it says, this world in its present form is passing away. And that means that some, some of the things that we're involved in right now, not necessarily bad, but they're not going to last into eternity. And one of them is marriage. Marriage is not going to last into eternity. Jesus himself says this. When the Sadducees came to him and they set up this kind of what I call straw man, I'm talking about seven brothers that were married to the same woman. And they're trying to trap him. He says, so tells Jesus in the resurrection, whose wife will she be? And he answers, at the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. So we're not going to be married in heaven. If you're married right now, you may love your spouse greatly, and you'll probably recognize that person, but you won't be in a marriage covenant. Marriage is as important as it is, does not last beyond this life, and that cannot be the end all value. It must be Christ and his kingdom, which is eternal. So he goes through this whole list. Again, you know, a person who's married to a wife, living as though he was not. Those who have earthly sorrow, those who mourn, as, as if they, they did not. It's not going to last. When Jesus comes, he's going to wipe away every tear. Those who are experiencing earthly joy, he says those who are happy, that's not going to last. Because when Jesus comes, you're going to experience a greater joy. As the scripture says in, in Psalm 16, 11, it says in his presence there is fullness of joy. Those who possess earthly things, those who buy something, you can't keep it. You can only send it on ahead. So invest it in the kingdom of God where you have treasure in heaven. And earthly stuff, the things you use in this world, you won't need. You know, when we get to heaven, we won't need the internet. When we get to heaven, we won't even need the sun. Because God himself will light that, light the whole area. And this is not calling us to negligence but it is to live in the coming reality of his coming kingdom, to make eternal investments with eternal values. In my study, commentator Gordon Fee says this. He says, therefore, one lives in the world just as the rest, in marriage, sorrowing, rejoicing, buying, making use of it, but none of those things determine one's life. The Christian is marked by eternity. Therefore, he or she is not under the dominating power of those things that dictate the existence of others. No, we are living for Jesus Christ. There is no greater thing as we have sung already. Marriage is temporal. That's only for this side of heaven. We need to be living for eternity.
Paul is also observant about the, the challenges of marriage. So he gives what I call a practical perspective. Pick it up at verse 32. I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife. Happy wife, happy life. His interests are divided. An unmarried man or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to both her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I am saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. There's a reality about the two becoming one. Is that you need to consider both persons' interests instead of one. And when you add children, things become more complex that way also. So if you're married, you're not as free with your time. Because you have a wife. And if you have a children, you've got to consider that as well. Time is not as plentiful. It has to be given to your wife and your family. You know what? If you want to get with me personally, you got to get on my calendar. Just because I've got so many things going on with my with ministry, with my family, all those other things, I'm not as free to come and go. You know, when I was single, man, you could call me at 10 o'clock at night. I'd say, let's go. It doesn't work like that anymore. If I'm out at 10 o'clock now, it better be an emergency. Because I'm usually in bed because I'm getting up early the next day. But I'm not as free with my time. I'm not as free with my movement. Or even my wife. You know, when, when Carrie, before Carrie and I met, she was sending out resumes to different schools where she was going to teach and saying, Lord, take me wherever. It took her to Chicago where we met. But she was free in the Lord to go wherever the Lord was leading her. That's the blessing of where Emily's at. She's the woman who's not married and she was free to go and serve the Lord overseas. That's a blessing to be free to, to have that movement. When you have, have a family, you have to consider what are you leaving? Consider, I gotta consider my wife, I have to consider my kids. And number three, you're not as free with your finances. <laughs> man, you know, I make more as, as a married man than I did when I was single, but I didn't need much of that. I mean, I'm trying to pay for, you know, my kids, a house, car, doctors, dentists, education, braces, activities, everything. Those things add up. I'm not as free with my money. And here's the principle. The more layers of commitment that you have, the more difficult it is to serve the Lord by distracting you. That's the blessing of singleness. Again, when I was single, I had so much more to be used for the kingdom of God. My time, my energy, my finances. That's why Paul's recommendation is singleness. He says in verse 35, I don't say this to restrict you. In fact, he says in the beginning of that, of that verse, it's for your own good, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. See, the blessing of singleness is undistracted devotion to Christ. But this begs the question for all of us. 
Are we really devoted to Christ? Are you really devoted to Christ? You know, I could make a list of all the things that might distract you from that devotion to Christ, but I'm not going to do that because it's not about what you're, you're doing or getting in the way. My question is, do you really believe that Jesus is enough? That's the more important question. Do you believe that Jesus really is enough? That, as I've quoted so many times, that apart from him, you have no good thing. That, as the Apostle Paul would say in Philippians 3.8, that he would consider everything lost compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus as Lord. Is he really? Is he really enough? Is he really number one? Are you really devoted to him? Whether you're married or whether you're not. And he will give you more life than marriage or sex or money or power or anything else. So to the single person I say, you know what? You'll never have more free time than you have right now. Take time to develop a heart devotion to Jesus. Don't fool yourself into thinking, oh, I'll do that when I get married. There are no guarantees in life, and there's always much more to distract. To the married person, I say, just because you're married and have kids doesn't mean you have an excuse not to be devoted to Jesus. It may require more discipline. It may require more creativity. But you need to be following be devoted to Christ as well. The question is, do we think that we have more life in following Jesus than anything else we might want to pursue, including marriage or other things? But in relation to this, in Paul's perspective, he's also a realist. Not everyone is called to be single, and so he gives what I call a gifting perspective. Again, back to verse 7. He says, I wish that all men were as I am, that is single, but each has your own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. And so Paul paints the scenario in verse 36. If anyone is worried that he's acting improperly toward the virgin he is engaged to, and if she is getting along in years and he feels he ought to marry, he should do as he wants. He is not sinning. They should get married. You know, it's it's the good Christian guy who's engaged. And he's hearing about the virtues of, of, of singleness. And he's saying, well, maybe that's for me. But it's not. Because God hasn't wired him that way. And he's engaged. And his natural sexual attraction is making him feel conflicted. He feels like he's not behaving in a pure sexual motive towards his, his fiance. Whether that's just what he's feeling inside or his, his actual behavior. And she's coming of age. She's, she's ready to get married. There's no sense in trying to live for an ideal that God has not gifted you for. Get married. If that's what God has called you to, get married. It's okay to be self-aware. And it's not how God has wired you. Each one, he says, has their own gift. We're not all wired the same. And some have been wired that singleness is something they ought to pursue. Verse 37. But the man who has settled the matter in his own mind, literally in his own heart, so this is more of a heart attitude as much as it is a mental decision, who is 
under no compulsion, but has uh, control over his own will, and who has made up his mind not to marry the virgin, this man also does right thing, the right thing. So then, he who marries a virgin does right, but he who does not marry does better. Now, Jesus himself was single, and he upholds the goodness of singleness in his teaching. Again, another conversation with the Pharisees. They're asking him about marriage and divorce. And Jesus, at the end of this, says, I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another man, another woman commits adultery. And then his disciples say this. The disciples said to him, if this is the situation between a husband and a wife, it is better not to marry. Look, if there's conflict to the point where I can't divorce my wife, maybe it's better not to marry. And Jesus doesn't directly address this, but this is what he does say. He says, not everyone can accept this word, that is, to not marry. But only those to whom it has been given, again, gifted. For there are eunuchs who are born that way, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others. And there are those who choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven, that is, single and celibate. And the one who can accept this should accept this. Again, this is an area where self-awareness needs to come into play. How is God wired you? Do you have self-control over your sexual passions? Are you a person who's not being compelled to, to stay single by somebody else? If that's a thought that's coming to you from the Lord. It's worth considering. It's worth pursuing. And again, the practical motive is for undistracted devotion to Christ. And by the way, singles, while you're still single, this is your gift. This is your calling to celibacy right now. It may not feel like you have the gift. It may not feel like that. But you're called to holy sexuality, to give your sexuality to the Lord. It's what Romans 12, 1 talks about as far as presenting your body a living sacrifice. That is your worship. That is your gift to God right now. And it's an opportunity to grow in self-control and to grow in satisfaction in the Lord. But we as a church need to be careful too. You know, one of the beautiful things about Berean is that we're a family church. We've got a lot of young families and married people. But we need to be careful not to make our, our singles among us feel like second-class citizens. We need to be careful about that. And I think the church in general, Church Universal, has made some mistakes. I think the Roman Catholics may have made a mistake in exalting celibacy and forcing it upon their, their clergy, people who aren't all gifted in that area. I think Protestants have made a mistake sometimes in glorifying marriage to the point where we will hire a pastor who's not married because we hold singles in suspicion. There must be something wrong with him. We can do a disservice to our single brothers and sisters, especially with our words. And, and sometimes we really mean well. But if you're single, have you ever heard this? Why aren't you married yet? Or, you know, what you really need is a husband. Or, I'm going to set you up. Now, God may use you 
in that area. But get permission first, please. And, and, and please treat them like adults. Treat singles like adults. My wife recalled to me, you know, when she was 20 years old, at family gatherings, how the family made her sit at the kids' table. You know, when she was a grown woman. You need to treat them with respect. You know, and don't treat them like second-class Christians or citizens. This is where God has them. It's their call right now, and they're trying to be faithful. Do not demean that at all. Paul concludes by addressing the one who is widowed here in verse 39. A woman who is bound to her husband as long as he lives. A woman is bound to her husband as long as, as he lives. But if her husband dies, she is free to marry anyone she wishes. But he must belong to the Lord. In my judgment, she is happier to stay as she is. And I think that I too share the spirit of God. For the recently widowed spouse, remarriage is an option. But it's only someone who is a believer. But again, according to Paul's perspective, he commends singleness. And he says, you know, I think I've got the Holy Spirit informing me on this as well. And this is how I read this. Look, if the Holy Spirit is at work in you and calling you to singleness, then that's going to resonate in your heart as well. A lot of you know my story. I was single till I was 34. For some that's old, for some that's young. But I'll tell you what, during that time I really developed a heart force in me because I had an opportunity to work with them. And it was a great time. It was a great time of growth. And sometimes I look back and I miss it. But I learned some lessons along the way. First of all, it is a great time to grow. And use that time, if you're single, as a time to grow in your devotion to Christ. You'll never have more free time than you have there. It's a place to get deeply rooted in Jesus. And if you want to get married, don't be anxious about getting married. Don't be anxious about that. Don't let that run your life. Don't let that be your driving passion. God is good. And he knows how to bring that person to your life. In fact, don't wait to, to serve him until you're married. Start serving him right now. Start serving him right now. Life is too short. There's no tomorrow. And you don't want to look back on, on eternity and go, man, I wasted my life waiting around. And here's the thing also. God usually directs ships that are moving, not ones that are stuck in port waiting for the right winds. I also want to say this. I would love for God to raise up another healthy singles group here at Marine. I'm, I'm excited about the singles we have here already. But I've been a part of a healthy singles group in the church, and it is amazing what God can do in and through that group. And I would love for God to re resurrect the harvesters here at Berean. I'm, I'm praying that way. Not not that our married people can't serve the Lord, but it, there's a different kind of energy for that that demographic of people. And again, for us who are, who are married, we need to have a healthy view of our singles. 
not to treat them like second-class citizens. We need to honor them. And if you are a person that says, I would like to get married one day, that's great. But don't compromise. Don't compromise in faith. You want to marry somebody who is a follower of Christ. And don't compromise in character. There are reasons why Proverbs says twice in it, in first chapter 21 and, and chapter uh, 25, it is better to live on the corner of a roof than to live in the house with a contentious wife. And by the way, that goes both ways. You could say contentious husband. That sword cuts both ways. But that's the biggest decision you'll ever make besides following Christ. And who you marry has a profound effect on how you live your life. It's better to be single than it really is than to marry someone who's difficult. And then to all of us, whether we're married or whether we're single, I just want to remind us that the ultimate good, the ultimate experience of life is not that we would be connected to an earthly spouse, but that we would be connected and know the living God and His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who said, I came to give life and I came to give it to the full. To know Him. To know Him intimately. And to look forward for His coming back for us. Coming back to take home His bride. And we joy and revel in that. To look forward to that. To live for eternity. So, Again, God has given a gift to some of us to be married. And God has given a gift to some of us to be single. And that is a gift that should be enjoyed, that should be reveled in, that should be taken advantage of. Because it will have implications on the future. Can we pray for us? And then Brian, we come and close us. Worship. So Lord, we are challenged by Paul's words. And Lord, for those of us who have married and we have treated singles as second-class citizens, as second-class Christians, pray that you forgive us and change that. And for the single who's struggling and wondering what goodness can come of, of their singleness, I pray that you would encourage that man, that woman today. And show them that you want to reveal yourself and grow them in your intimacy with them. And use them. Use them in ways that they can't be used if they were there. And then to trust you, Lord, that if you have someone for them, you'll bring that person in your right time. Lord, we want to be a people who are trusting you in every aspect of our lives. With our marriages, with our singleness. For today and tomorrow, we trust that you're going to come Take us to yourself, and you'll enjoy your presence for eternity. For Jesus, in your precious name, I pray these things. Amen.